Well, it's the last week for our series. Um, Do you know what you don't know? The entire premise of this series is to kind of open up our eyes to the fact that there is an entire world of things we do not know. There's something about uh, human nature. When we begin to feel as if we've mastered something, we've mastered um, our craft, we've mastered our job, there's something that we've come to the end of it, we just have this natural tendency to begin to kind of sit back, to relax, to take it easy, uh, to coast, right? Uh, when you were in high school, your uh, senior year, for some of you, was the hardest one. It's the one that counselors and teachers are always on you. Hey, don't take your foot off the pedal. Stay engaged. I know you've done this so many times before. I know you get it. But seriously, finish strong, right? Um, one of the hardest things to do in sports is to teach a team how to play hard when they're winning. It's easy to play hard when it's a close game, when the crowd's screaming. But when you get a huge lead, it's tough. I mean, uh, whenever I was in school, we played a lot of really interesting small schools like Altus. Have you ever heard of Altus? How about Winslow? Anybody from Winslow? Winslow Squirrels. (laughs) If that doesn't strike fear into your heart, I mean, I'm not sure what does. It's really hard to stay engaged when you're winning by 55 points against the Winslow Squirrels. Coach is like, come on, play defense. You're like, really, coach? We should let them, just allow them to score, right? And there's something about uh, spiritual things, especially with Christians. We tend to be the worst. If you compare us to, uh, to Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, we tend to be some of the worst with this. We come to a place where we feel like we have everything we need with God, and we begin to take our foot off. We begin to take it easy. We begin to coast. I think the biggest reason that Christians are so poor at spirituality is because we have a message that tells us that, uh, that the finish line is one step away. Salvation is the finish line. That's the goal. And all we have to do is just get to a place of believing a certain idea and say a prayer and you've made it. You're doing good. Now, if you notice the, the certain traditions of the church that don't focus on that, say holiness churches. Who's ever been to like a Pentecostal, Pentecostal church? You know what I'm talking about? Pentecostal, holiness. I'm talking skirts to the night. Okay, you understand. They don't stop. Ever. It'll, it, tonight, it'll be 9 o'clock. The whole world will be watching a football game. What do you think they're doing? Worshiping Jesus. Because the bar for them is up there. <laughs> Let me tell you. But for us, it's not so high. And so in this series, one of the biggest goals for us is, is to open up our eyes that we don't have it figured out. There's not much that we really do have figured out. And so here's the first question for you this morning. What do you know for sure? For sure. What do you know for sure about God? If someone sincerely came to you, you weren't trying to argue, uh, weren't trying to prove anything, but what do you know for sure? What would you bet your house on? I believe, I know this is so sure that I will bet my house, my car, anything I own, I'll put on this. How about this? What would you bet your children or your best friend or your parents on? If you love your parents and your best friend or your... (laughs) Or your children, right? You can have this kid for free. <laughs> what do you know for sure about God? As a pastor, I, you know, I get the chance to spend time with you about your spiritual walk. And judging by your actions, and I'm not talking about individuals, just as a whole, there's not many things we really behave as if we really know about God. There's not many things our lives are actually built around with God. 
And so in this passage, I love this passage so much because it's Jesus being Jesus, as always. And here's this woman being kind. Hey, would you like some water? And he turns it around to this, this really heavy conversation. And of course, she's just trying to be nice. Oh, that's great. We worship that God too. That's awesome. No, you don't even know what you're talking about. We worship on knowledge. You worship on guessing. And he goes this whole thing about this eternal water, right? This well that never runs dry. And he says this line at the end. And there's a time coming when those who worship will worship in spirit and in truth. What's awesome about this line is most of you in this room think you have a concept of what that means. If I made you come up on the stage and explain to us what it means, you would go, what does that mean? To worship in spirit and in truth. Now, in my background, we're charismatic. So to us, that meant speaking in tongues. To worship in spirit was in some way, shape, or form to do something spiritual. So prophesy, or in some way, shape, or form, do something charismatic, something fun and loud and a little crazy. That's what he means. Jesus wants to find the crazy people in the tents. That's what, that's what the Father's searching for tents. That's what he's doing. Where's the tent meeting at today? I want to find people with tambourines and shofars and flags. Not the Baptist meetings. We don't, you know, no, we want that. That's what God's doing up in the clouds. Swimming around looking for charismatic crazies, right? In other circles, they would say spirit and truth is talking about the absolute reality. What is the most true thing? So finding the most true thing that we know for sure about God, that is what worship is. That sounds really exciting. So what Jesus does when he says this line, which I hope most of you are realizing, you don't really even know what he's talking about. He goes on to talk a little bit about God. And he says, the reason that this is what God is looking for, for those who worship in spirit and truth, it's because the Father is spirit. If your life depended on it this morning, okay, if you had to answer this, how would you answer this? What is spirit? Come on, in your head, start answering in your head. What is spirit? What would you say to that? What is spirit? You might be able to give answers for a few seconds. At some point, it's going to run out. And then you have to start describing it by what it's not. Well, spirit isn't flesh. It's not, it's not solid stuff, right? Spirit isn't emotions. Spirit isn't thoughts. Spirit is... Come on. Spirit is, what is it? Breath of life. I love that. What does that mean? You're my friend, so I can mess with you, right? No, I love you. Is that meaning that my physical breath is spirit? Is that spirit? Partial spirit? How do you guys feel? Is spirit oxygen and carbon? A little bit of nitrogen in there too. What is it? What are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? The Father is what? Spirit. What in the world does that mean? What does spirit even mean? If we're talking about the very essence of the Creator of all things, the only thing that is real, the realest of real things, we don't even know what that means. 
The best way that, that we can ever describe what spirit is is by telling you everything that you've ever seen, touched, smelled, isn't it. If you can really name it, touch it, smell it, taste it, feel it, it probably isn't that thing. So what is that thing? What is spirit? Your life force, man. I love Star Wars, man. I'm, I'm telling you. The force might be the best analogy for spirit, right? It's this thing that can move you and it can be moved. It's this thing that everyone is aware of in some way, shape, or form, but no one quite knows what it is. There are moments for every person where you have experienced something spiritual, okay? Um, with the word spiritual, I like to use the word other, meaning we don't know exactly what it is. There is no box I can give you to put spirit in. There's no way for me to describe it fully for you, but I can tell you this, it's something other than everything else. It is something so outside the box that it cannot be mistaken for anything inside the box. See, there is a part of God that is so outside of everything that we've ever experienced that the only way to really describe Him is to say it's, it's, it's whatever's on the outside. Whatever is beyond our knowing, whatever is beyond our boxes, beyond our controlling, that is it. But there are moments when the tangible, when our physical bodies, when our souls, when our emotions and our minds, when we are able to connect to that eternal thing. The Spirit is that thing which has existed before these things existed. Before there was time, before there were chairs and food and football games, before there were you and your parents and their parents and their parents and your children, there was something that was here. Who was Jesus before Jesus was born? What was his name? There's a word we use for him in the Scriptures. We attach it to him as his last name. Christ. The Christ has always been the Christ. The Christ became Jesus. The Christ got a face, and the, the Christ got a name. But Christ, the Christ, was before all time, was before all matter, was before all things ever existed. The Apostle Paul even talks about it, the Christ. And the Christ was present when all things began, and all things were created for Him and through Him. Before any of this existed, before the concept of a Jesus could ever exist, before Jesus could ever come from a town or from a mother, before matter, the Christ was. Everyone's going, I don't know if I like this. It's getting a little big. A little big for me, I don't know. Jesus is one of the most complex topics, of course. What's powerful about Jesus is this. Jesus is in fully nature God, meaning other, right? That spirit, that, that thing that is more real than the most real. That thing that is outside of this box. But Jesus is the only place, thing, person, face, name that's from the outside that comes in. Jesus is the essence of God that allows Himself to be named. It's the essence of God that allows Himself to have to be confined. Think about this. God had never ever been confined to anything. You have no concept of not being confined. Can you be in the nursery right now? Is it possible for you to be? If you want to go to the nursery, what do you have to do? You have to leave this confinement and go to a what? Another confinement, right? 
Is it possible for you to be at yesterday right now? Go. How about tomorrow? What's it like? Is it snowing tomorrow? Probably. You only know one existence, one perspective, and that is this locked, contained box that you experience right now. You only know one thing. Containment. The very nature of God is the opposite of your nature. God had ever only known one thing. Freedom. And He allows Himself to be confined to one place. Imagine if you could be on the beach right now in 50 years in the same moment right now. And on the mountaintop and in the oceans, snorkeling and in the cosmos at Mars and be in all these places. And I said, no, no, no. I want to trap you and put you in Alma, Arkansas where it's going to be 75 degrees and muggy in the winter right now and you're stuck. That would really stink. The very essence and freedom of the nature of God confined to something. Now, we're bringing this somewhere. You are a combination of multiple things. There is some of your parents in you. Have you ever had those moments when you realize that you're kind of like your dad or your mom? Anybody? Have you ever had those moments when you realize that, that you're kind of like one of your grandparents? Like you see something from your grandparents in you. Okay. If you've ever had children, you have these moments where you begin to see yourself in them and then you also see the other spouse in them. Right? <laughs> he pooped on the floor! Nisa! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, darn. I thought you were helping somewhere. <laughs> there, are, there are multiple parts of, of what makes you you that you can track, that you can kind of follow. Okay, well, this comes from this, and, and this comes from this, and from this. But there's also something right in the middle of, of who and what you are that you can't really track. Here's an example. Why does every human being in this room right now have a powerful longing to have a home? Why does anyone ever want to have friends? Now, I'm not saying you want friends at this moment. Some of you have been burned or given up that hope a long time ago. But why is there a deep desire for connection? What is that thing? Amen. But where does that thing come from, right? These longings, right? Why is enough never enough? Okay, whatever you have in the bank account right now, awesome. If I add one million dollars to it, will you never want to add another dollar? Two million dollars. Ten million? There is no number where the answer will not be more. And if it's not money for you, it's something. Everyone has something that we need more of. There is an insatiable nature to us. Here's what that nature is. There is something in you that cannot stand confinement. For you, it could be time. You're terrified of death. Because for you, there is something that cannot stand the idea of confinement, of an end to you. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's 
time with certain people, connection to certain people. Some, some of you, it's experiences. Some of you, it's, it's a certain form of affection. But for every one of you, there is a, a part of us that cannot stand limits. One of the things that the Bible teaches us is that what God did when He breathed on us in Genesis. This breath was, this everyday breath is a reminder of the first breath. Steve said breath, and he was right because one of the ways that, that the Jews described the name of God is that when you begin to say it in Hebrew, I will not say the word right now because I'm not practice on it. Yahava. Shafava. When you begin to say this in and out, they create a word for God, and it sounds like the, the sounds that come from your throat and your chest when you breathe. They create a word that mimics the exact sounds that you make when you breathe. Because it was, a, it was to be a reminder to them that every single breath of this life is a reminder that there is an eternal connection outside of it. When God breathed on us, He didn't give us the ability to breathe. He put some of that thing, that other, that spirit, inside of us. Yes, there's emotion and there's mind and thought and there's matter and feelings and touch and, and sensations. There's personality and ego. But there's something else in there too. And it's that other. Spirit. God inside of us. This is one of the, the most profound aspects of being a human being. Is that there are desires in deep within us that most of us never take a second to ask why that's in there. What is that thing deeper in us? You know, before you had a face, that's an awesome thought, think about that. What did you look like before you had a face? You'd be watching Super Bowl day, did you? What do you think I looked like before I had a face? <laughs> before you had a face, before you had a name, you had a home. Meaning you come from somewhere. There's something in you that longs to get back to where it comes from. We don't have time to go into it, but there are certain animals that they kind of show this ability, whether it's turtles or birds. They have this ability to have this sonar that takes them all the way back to the exact spot that they were born. And, and typically, with certain animals, they will return either annually or at the end of their life. When they're about to die, they will trek the entire world to get back to home, the place where they started from. Every human being has this internal GPS or sonar. There's this constant longing to return home. It takes all different shapes and sizes. It takes people uh, becoming Christians, going to, to counseling, doing yoga, uh, throwing themselves into work, making money, uh, finding as many partners or friends as they can, and, it, and it, sometimes it even looks like suicide. There's a deep pulling in every human being that says, this isn't it. There's something, there's something else. What you long for is home. Now, I'm a pastor, which means I, I speak primarily Christian language to Christians. 
But one of the passions I have is speaking to people who, who don't speak Christianese and Bible verses. And speaking to people who don't speak any of that stuff, but people, people who know that, that universal pull. That there's a desire for something other that this world cannot give us. Every one of you has a strong pull deep inside of you to be a part of that thing that you are first from. To get back to that thing. To connect to that thing. There's a part of, of all of us that is ingrained with this desire for us to find that place that makes us satisfied. In this house, in this circle, we're Christians. We have names for that. We call home God. We call the path Jesus. This is how we've found this. And we are absolutely convinced that this is exactly the way there. And this is what we offer the world. But the one connection we have to offer, the way we can speak the language to every human being who's outside of this, this circle, who doesn't speak the Bible, is that we know the way home. We know that thing. Whatever that thing is in there. Understand this. Everyone in this room right now is working with energy and resources and focus and thought and emotion to satisfy that need. It could be you pouring yourself into your children. It could be you pouring yourself into your work or trying to earn money or trying to, to reach this goal. It is something. It could be a hobby. It could be whatever it is. You are actively in some way, shape, or form trying to fill that hole in this moment right now. When you leave here, you will be trying to fill it. When you surround yourself in a room with people watching a stupid game eating terrible food for you, you are trying to meet that need. And there's a moment when it feels good and there's a moment when it's just not enough. When you achieve that thing, when you have that thing, when you have that person, when you, and you will find out none of those things will satisfy. Nothing in this world has the ability to satisfy you. And if you don't believe me, just come back and talk to me in five years, ten years, fifteen years. When you find full satisfaction, come talk to me and I'll prove to you that you're lying. You will never be fully satisfied because you were designed that way. Something in the very heart of you, and it's heart, we're not talking that heart. Something in the middle of what it is that makes you you that craves for God. We give that word spirit. Something that we can all feel and experience. Something that we can all know in some way, shape, or form is real. And we all experience it different ways. But at the same time, it's that thing that we cannot get a hold of. We cannot contain it. We cannot hold it down. We cannot figure it out. We cannot fully know it. All we can do is chase it. You will be happiest in this life when you are chasing this thing we call spirit. For me, what I, what I picture is like wind. I'm not sure if you've ever been out on like a really grassy area with a hill and the wind blows. You almost have a sensation that if you go to the top of the hill and jump, somehow you'll grab it. Does anyone? Okay, no, I'm weird. That's okay. But I... <laughs> It's the closest thing I get to, to heading back and being in the past right now. I can remember that sensation as a kid, running with the wind. How about that? Have you ever ran into the wind when it's blowing hard? So hard that you can't hear anything? You know what I'm talking about? And there's something where you go, I just like this. Don't know why I like this, but I like it. 
Chasing this thing we call spirit, chasing the very essence of God, the most real, real thing there is, those are the moments you will be most alive. And it will look like all different things. It will take all different shapes and forms and sizes. Living to find that home is the only time you will ever feel closest to satisfied. Everything else you ever do is a distraction. Do you hear me? Everything else you ever do is a distraction. Not a bad thing. Some distractions are good. Some things we need to do. And see, every part of our lives can be chasing that thing. When you are at work, when you are with your kids, there is a part of God at work. There's a part of that spirit that's present. You can chase even in all these moments. See, chasing, running home doesn't look the way you think it does. Part of the things that we're doing in the next few years here at Grace is we're focusing on teaching you what it looks like to find home, to chase God, to find, to connect to the Spirit of God. One of the first moments I ever felt deeply what it was to connect to God was holding my children. You're going, okay, if I look at this from evolutionary thought, I'm holding my offspring. It's the closest thing to me, you know, living forever. So my body is telling me good thing because you're going to live another 70 years, even if you're in the grave. Cool? Everyone goes, I didn't think that. Okay. Emotionally, maybe this is an emotional high because I, you know, I, I realize that this is, this is, I don't know, I'm trying my best to explain to you why you're excited to have kids, but really there's not a lot of reasons why you should be excited to have kids. Great, I will never sleep again. All of my money is now gone. I'm going to be angry. No, I'm just kidding. We don't know why we, you know, you get it. And it was beyond the emotional connection. It was beyond the fact that I finally had a kid. It was beyond the, the connection of, of, of having this goal or this dream I wanted. It was beyond those things. There was something else. There was something about life, holding life in my hands and realizing this thing is not me. This thing is not because of me. This thing is, this is precious. There's something precious in my hands that did not exist and, and, and does. Forgiveness is one of those places. For me, when I see people forgive each other, and there's like true reconciliation, you, you sit back and go, there's something so deep happening here that's so real in this moment. There are all these moments where you have these connections to something bigger than what is here. I have a quote I want to show you guys. From Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. Okay, Dave is strong in one area. Dave is a black and white kind of guy. And the world needs some black and white guys. Dave would not be a good theologian. Dave would absolutely hate the Bible because it would drive him crazy. He would want to make it black and white, and it just doesn't work that way. He'd be a terrible pastor. What Dave is is a phenomenal, what's the word for that? Hmm, butt chewer of finances. How about that? He's really good at telling you how you're screwing up with your money. Amen? Do we have that quote, guys? Let's go ahead and tear that up for us. What we've got here, adults devise a plan and follow it. Children do what feels good. I mean, just kind of picture him with his bald head looking at you in the glasses. You know what I'm talking about? He's just, he's just mad at you, you know? Adults devise a plan and follow it. Children do what feels good. Lack of emotional maturity will make you broke. Is that true? Probably true. 
right? Dave is amazing at helping people realize that if they do not begin to take their money seriously, it's going to hurt them. (laughs) They're going to miss out. So I saw this on Facebook. The in-house resident uh, fan, worshiper, teacher, guru of uh, Dave Ramsey, Brian Jernigan. I think he's in here this morning. Good thing. I can mess with him. Uh, he, he shared this on his Facebook page, and I saw it, and I thought, huh, that's cool, that's good, you know? When you see someone who gets on these plans, they begin to put a few more hours each week into checking their budget. They begin to put energy, emotion, thought into preparing a budget. They begin to make hard choices that, that they didn't really want to make, but they know are good for them. And when you see people actually sell out to this thing, right, to the financial peace, you begin to see quick results, right? I've, I've, I've seen the same thing with working out. You know, when people actually get to the place, when they begin to devise a plan and work towards it, all of a sudden, I'm losing weight. I'm getting fit. I'm getting... It's amazing how it works. And there's all these things you can do in this life. There's all these things that you can do intentionally. When someone begins to get their act together, they begin to come on time to work and try hard and all this great, oh my gosh, it works out for them. That's amazing. There's all these different areas of our lives that we begin to become intentional. We realize, I'm missing out. I'm not doing what I could do. I need to do better. It just kind of struck me in that moment. If someone is willing to invest emotion and thought, hard choices, to devise a plan, to be intentional, to keep track every day or every week of how they're doing with their finances. That's a good thing. But your finances will only matter to you for maybe five years, 20 years, 30 years, 70 years, however many years you have left, your finances will matter to you. Who here believes that there's something after this life? Now, you don't have to, you know, have to know what it is. Who believes there's some kind of existence after this life? Go ahead, hands up. Do you believe that existence is five seconds, five minutes, hours, weeks, months, years, 50 years, 500 years, 5,000 years, 5 million years? How long do you think that span is after this? How much time have you spent on that existence? If you're here for, we'll say ballpark, if you've got 50 more years on this earth, have you planned for the next 50? Sure, you've got a great bank account. Awesome. You can retire. Sweet. How about after that? I don't even care if you believe in any kind of Christian concept whatsoever. How sure are you on whatever it is? If you believe that all that this is is some kind of odd occurrence of atoms and neurons and you are some kind of weird walking, talking amoeba, whatever, that's awesome. How sure are you right now? How much energy and thought and time have you spent thinking about what comes after that? Most Christians and atheists and Hindus and Buddhists have only spent a few hours of their entire life thinking about what comes next. How sure are you? To the Christian, 
who might believe in hell or heaven, how sure are you? To the atheist who believes there's nothing, how sure are you? How much time have you put into that? If you're a football fan, I guarantee you, you have not put as much time into thinking about existence after this existence as you have watching football. I guarantee you. How sure are you? The question I started this morning with, what do you know for sure about God? The truth is this, you don't know much at all. I don't know much at all. Most of you were all born into a church where we turned the word faith to mean I know for sure. And that was the most dangerous thing that you were ever taught. To have faith is to know for sure. That's not what faith means. To have faith is to trust. Meaning I don't know for sure, but I'm going to trust anyway. When I got married to my wife, I had no idea it was going to happen. I thought I did. Lord, have mercy on all of us. I knew what I was signing up for. I did not know for sure what was going to come, but I had trust. That's the idea of faith. But faith was never meant to be something that would extinguish the chase. It's the exact opposite. You were only created for one thing. The chase is what you were created for. The pursuit. The journey. The hike. The climb. The game. (laughs) I can go all day, people. This is what you... The doing, the going, the moving, the the motion, the forward, that was what you were created for. The sitting, the ignoring, the staleness, this. This is not what you were created for. You wonder why people don't think church is important. Because you think you've already got it figured out. You have nothing figured out. Nothing. And the amount of time you spend on your work, on family, on hobbies, on Super Bowls, compared to what we are spending figuring out what comes next. Do you have a single memory of what came before you were born? You don't. But you have a sense. There's something in everyone that there's something bigger that I want to be a part of. In every single human being, there's a pull and a draw that says there is something more than this and I'm going to find it. This is what you need to hold on to. It's not about being sure of things up here. It's not about having every answer. It's about knowing that there's something deep in here that I do know. And that's I have this, the strongest pull and I don't even know where it comes from, but I know there's something more. And it doesn't matter whatever happens in business. It doesn't matter how many, whatever happens. And even in the best things like family or hobbies, it doesn't matter. You know what? The biggest miracle in the world. Even if the Razorbacks win an NCAA title in anything but track, it will not be enough. Yeah, it's had a picture of like the entire state burning down. If we actually won a championship, we just light everything on fire. We're done. We all go home. It will not be enough. Tom Brady will not retire tonight if he wins the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's just not enough for him, I'm telling you. This is why you have no excuse whatsoever to not throw more of yourself into finding out what that next is. What is that thing? That pulls stronger than anything else in my life. What is that? And how do I get closer to that? 
Because even if your emotions are real and powerful, even if the, the tangibleness of money and house and food, are, they are so important. But there is something beyond it. Something that's more real than the most real. And that thing you need to pour yourself into. Everything Grace Church is about is not about keeping you stagnant. If you just want to come and sit, we'd love for you to be here. But that's not what this church is for. If you're ready to go find that more, that is what we are here for. That's what we're going to do. Because there's something so real, some pull so strong that we know there's something more to existence than just this. Would you guys stand with me this morning? <laughs> I've got a message from Todd in the foyer. You're messaging me about the, the Winslow squirrel joke. He took it personal. It's okay. Uh, uh, you know, squirrels are, are vicious, rabid creatures. Uh, they are a great mascot for any school. <laughs> Father, we come to you this morning. Uh, you are the God of no limits or boundaries, or, but you're also the God who is willing to limit himself, the God who's willing to take on a, a box and confinement confined to time and to space and to matter. You're the God who is completely near to us and far from us. Who's like us and nothing like us in the same moment. I thank you that even with the bigness of all that you are, you've given us the best way to connect to you. Lord Jesus, we ask that we would fix our eyes on you. We cannot fathom the universe or the spirit, but we can start with Jesus. You are the God who ate and drank, who experienced joy and experienced pain. You are the God who is so close and similar that we can know You. So this morning I ask that there would be hunger awoken in every single person in this room. That we would not dull it or ignore it, but there is a desire in every one of us for something more. I ask, Lord, that You would allow that to be released. Holy Spirit, you are the very essence of God, always near, always present, always close. I ask that you would continue to move and to speak to us, that we would feel you and sense you, we would come to know you. I ask, Lord, that we would be a church, a people that will never quench or hold down our hunger for more of you. There is always more of you, and we want it. In Jesus' name.